Section 11 of Micrographia Some Physiological Descriptions of Minute Bodies Made by Magnifying Glasses with Observations and Inquiries Thereupon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Cooper. Micrographia Some Physiological Descriptions of Minute Bodies Made by Magnifying Glasses with Observations and Inquiries Thereupon by Robert Hooke. Observation 7 of Some Phenomena of Glass Drops. These glass drops are small parcels of coarse green glass taken out of the pots that contain the metal, as they call it, infusion, upon the end of an iron pipe, and being exceedingly hot, and thereby of a kind of sluggish fluid confidence, are suffered to drop from thence into a bucket of cold water, and in it to lie till they be grown sensibly cold. Some of these I broke in the open air, by snapping off a little of the small stem with my fingers, others by crushing it with a small pair of pliers, which I had no sooner done than the whole bulk of the drop flew violently, with a very brisk noise, into multitudes of small pieces, some of which were as small as dust, though in some there were remaining pieces pretty large, without any flaw at all, and others very much flawed, which, by rubbing between one's fingers, was easily reduced to dust. These dispersed every way so violently that some of them pierced my skin. I could not find either with my naked eye or a microscope that any of the broken pieces were of a regular figure, nor any one like another, but for the most part those that flawed off in large pieces were prettily branched. The ends of others of these drops I nipped off whilst all the bodies and ends of them lay buried under the water, which, like the former, flew all to pieces with as brisk a noise and as strong a motion. Others of these I tried to break by grinding away the blunt end, and though I took a seemingly good one, and had ground away near two-thirds of the ball, yet would it not fly to pieces, but now and then some small rings of it would snap and fly off, not without a brisk noise and quick motion, leaving the surface of the drop whence it flew very prettily branched or creased, which was easily discoverable by the microscope. This drop, after I had thus ground it, without at all impairing the remnant that was not ground away, I caused to fly immediately all into sand upon the nipping off the very tip of its slender end. Another of these drops I began to grind away at the smaller end, but had not worn away on the stone above a quarter of an inch before the whole drop flew with a brisk crack into sand or small dust. Nor would it have held so long had there not been a little flaw in the piece that I ground away, as I afterwards found. Several others of these drops I covered over with a thin but very tough skin of ichthyocola, which being very tough and very transparent, was the most convenient substance for these trials that I could imagine, having dipped, I say, several of these drops in this transparent glue whilst hot, and suffering them to hang by a string tied about the end of them till they were cold and the skin pretty tough. Then wrapping all the body of the drop, leaving out only the very tip, in fine supple kid's leather very closely, I nipped off the small top and found, as I expected, 
that notwithstanding this skin of glue and the close wrapping up in leather upon the breaking of the top the drop gave a crack like the rest and gave my hand a pretty brisk impulse but yet the skin and leather was so strong as to keep the parts from flying out of their former posture and the skin being transparent i found that the drop retained exactly its former figure and polish but was grown perfectly opacious and all over flawed all those flaws lying in the manner of rings from the bottom or blunt end to the very top or small point and by several examinations with the microscope of several thus broken i found the flaws both within the body of the drop and on the outward surface to lie much in this order let a b in the figure x of the fourth scheme represent the drop cased over with ichthyocola or isinglass by being ordered as is before prescribed crazed or flawed into pieces but by the skin or case kept in its former figure and each of its flawed parts preserved exactly in its due posture the outward appearance of it somewhat plainly to the naked eye but much more conspicuous if viewed with a small lens appeared much after this shape that is the blunt end b for a pretty breadth namely as far as the ring ccc seemed irregularly flawed with diverse clefts which all seemed to tend towards the centre of it being as i afterwards found and shall anon show in the description of the figure y the basis as it were of a cone which was terminated a little above the middle of the drop all the rest of the surface from ccc to a was flawed with an infinite number of small and parallel rings which as they were for the most part very round so were they very thick and close together but were not so exactly flawed as to make a perfect ring but each circular part was by irregular cracks flawed likewise into multitudes of irregular flakes or tiles and this order was observed likewise the whole length of the neck now though i could not exactly cut this conical body through the axis as is represented by the figure y yet by anatomizing as it were of several and taking notice of diverse particular circumstances i was informed that could i have artificially divided a flawed drop through the axis or centre i should with a microscope have found it to appear much of this form where a signifies the apex and b the blunt end cc the cone of the basis which is terminated at t the top or end of it which seems to be the very middle of the blunt end in which not only the conical body of the basis cc is terminated but as many of the parts of the drop as reach as high as dd and it seemed to be the head or beginning of a pith as it were or a part of the body which seemed more spongy than the rest and much more irregularly flawed from which t ascended by ee -E, though less visible into the small neck towards a the grain as it were of all the flaws that proceeds from all the outward surface adccda was much the same as is represented by the black strokes that meet in the middle dt dt de de etc nor is this kind of grain as i may call it peculiar to glass drops thus quenched for not to mention copra stones and diverse other marcasites and minerals which i have often taken notice of to be in the very same manner flaked or grained with a kind of pith in the middle i have observed the same in all manner of cast iron 
especially the coarser sort, such as stoves and furnaces and backs and pots are made of. For upon the breaking of any of those substances, it is obvious to observe how from the outsides towards the middle there is a kind of radiation or grain much resembling this of the glass drop. But this grain is most conspicuous in iron bullets, if they be broken. The same phenomena may be produced by casting regulus of antimony into the bullet mold, as also with glass of antimony, and with almost any such kind of vitrified substance, either cast into a cold mold or poured into water. Others of these drops I heat red-hot in the fire, and then suffer them to cool by degrees. And these I found to have quite lost all their fulminating or flying quality, as also their hard, brittle, and springy texture, and to emerge of a much softer temper and much easier to be broken or snapped with one's finger. But its strong and brittle quality was quite destroyed, and it seemed much of the same consistence with other green glass well kneeled in the oven. The figure and bigness of these, for the most part, was the same with that of the figure Z. That is, all the surface of them was very smooth and polished, and for the most part round, but very rugged or knobbed about D, and all the length of the stem was here and there pitted or flatted. About D, which is at the upper part of the drop under the side of the stem which is concave, there usually was made some one or more little hillocks or prominences. The drop itself, before it be broken, appears very transparent, and towards the middle of it to be very full of small bubbles, of some kind of aerial substance, which by the refraction of the outward surface appear much bigger than really they are, and this may be in good part removed by putting the drop under the surface of clear water, for by that means most part of the refraction of the convex surface of the drop is destroyed, and the bubbles will appear much smaller. And this, by the by, minds me of the appearing magnitude of the aperture of the iris or pupil of the eye, which though it appear, and be therefore judged very large, is yet not above a quarter of the bigness it appears of, by the lenticular refraction of the cornea. The cause of all which phenomena I imagine to be no other than this, that the parts of the glass being by the excessive heat of the fire kept off and separated one from another, and thereby put into a kind of sluggish fluid consistence, are suffered to drop off with that heat or agitation remaining in them into cold water, by which means the outsides of the drop are presently cooled and crusted, and are thereby made of a loose texture, because the parts of it have not time to settle themselves leisurely together, and so to lie very close together. And the innermost parts of the drop, retaining still much of their former heat and agitations, remain of a loose texture also, and, according as the cold strikes inwards from the bottom and sides, are quenched, as it were, and made rigid in that very posture wherein the cold finds them. For the parts of the crust being already hardened, will not suffer the parts to shrink any more from the outward surface inward, and though it shrink a little by reason of the small parcels of some aerial substances dispersed through the matter of the glass, yet that is not near so much as it appears, as I just now hinted. Nor if it were, would it be sufficient for to consolidate and condense the body of glass into a tough and close texture after it had been so excessively rarefied by the heat of the glass furnace. 
but that there may be such an expansion of the aerial substance contained in those little blebs or bubbles in the body of the drop this following experiment will make more evident take a small glass cane about a foot long seal up one end of it hermetically then put in a very small bubble of glass almost of the shape of an essence vial with the open mouth towards the sealed end then draw out the other end of the pipe very small and fill the whole cylinder with water then set this tube by the fire till the water begin to boil and the air in the bubble be in good part rarefied and driven out then by sucking at the smalling pipe more of the air or vapors in the bubble may be sucked out so that it may sink to the bottom when it is sunk to the bottom in the flame of a candle or lamp nip up the slender pipe and let it cool whereupon it is obvious to observe first that the water by degrees will subside and shrink into much less room next that the air or vapors in the glass will expand themselves so as to buoy up the glass thirdly that all about the inside of the glass pipe there will appear an infinite number of small bubbles which as the water grows colder and colder will swell bigger and bigger and many of them buoy themselves up and break at the top from this deceding of the heat in glass drops that is by the quenching or cooling irradiations propagated from the surface upwards and inwards by the lines ct ct dt de etc the bubbles in the drop have room to expand themselves a little and the parts of the glass contract themselves but this operation being too quick for the sluggish parts of the glass the contraction is performed very unequally and irregularly and thereby the particles of the glass are bent some one way and some another yet so as that most of them draw towards the pith or middle teee -E, or rather from that outward so that they cannot extricate or unbend themselves till some part of teee -E be broken and loosened for all the parts about that are placed in the manner of an arch and so till their hold at teee -E be loosened they cannot fly asunder but uphold and shelter and fix each other much like the stones in a vault where each stone does concur to the stability of the whole fabric and no one stone can be taken away but the whole arch falls and wheresoever any of those radiating wedges dtd etc are removed which are the component parts of this arch the whole fabric presently falls to pieces for all the springs of the several parts are set at liberty which immediately extricate themselves and fly asunder every way each part by its spring contributing to the darting of itself and some other contiguous part but if this drop be heat so hot as that the parts by degrees can unbend themselves and be settled and annealed in that posture and be then suffered gently to subside and cool the parts by this kneeling losing their springiness constitute a drop of more soft but less brittle texture and the parts being not at all under a flexure though any part of the middle or pith teee -E, be broken yet will not the drop at all fly to pieces as before this conjecture of mine i shall endeavor to make out by explaining each particular assertion with analogous experiments the assertions are there first that the parts of the glass whilst in a fluid consistence and hot are more rarefied 
or take up more room than when hard and cold secondly that the parts of the drop do suffer a twofold contraction thirdly that the dropping or quenching the glowing metal in the water makes it of a hard springing and rarefied texture fourthly that there is a flexion or force remaining upon the parts of the glass thus quenched from which they endeavor to extricate themselves fifthly that the fabric of the drop that is able to hinder the parts from extricating themselves is analogous to that of an arch sixthly that the sudden flying asunder of the parts proceeds from their springiness seventhly that a gradual heating and cooling does anneal or reduce the parts of glass to a texture that is more loose and easier to be broken but not so brittle that the first of these is true may be gathered from this that heat is a property of a body arising from the motion or agitation of its parts and therefore whatever body is thereby touched must necessarily receive some part of that motion whereby its parts will be shaken and agitated and so by degrees free and extricate themselves from one another and each part so moved does by that motion exert a conatus of protruding and displacing all the adjacent particles thus air included in a vessel by being heated will burst it to pieces thus have i broke a bladder held over the fire in my hand with such a violence and noise that it almost made me deaf for the present and much surpassed the noise of a musket the like have i done by throwing into the fire small glass bubbles hermetically sealed with a little drop of water included in them thus water also or any other liquor included in a convenient vessel by being warmed manifestly expands itself with a very great violence so as to break the strongest vessel if when heated it be narrowly imprisoned in it this is very manifest by the sealed thermometers which i have by several trials at last brought to a great certainty in tenderness for i have made some with stems above four foot long in which the expanding liquor would so far vary as to be very near the very top in the heat of summer and pretty near the bottom at the coldest time of the winter the stems i use for them are very thick straight and even pipes of glass with a very small perforation and both the head and the body i have made on purpose at the glass house of the same metal whereof the pipes are drawn these i can easily in the flame of a lamp urged with the blast of a pair of bellows seal and close together so as to remain very firm close and even by this means i join on the body first and then fill both it and a part of the stem proportionate to the length of the stem and the warmth of the season i fill it in with the best rectified spirit of wine highly tinged with the lovely color of conchineal which i deepen the more by pouring some drops of common spirit of urine which must not be too well rectified because it will be apt to make the liquor to curdle and stick in the small perforation of the stem this liquor i have upon trial found the most tender of any spirituous liquor and those are much more sensibly affected with the variations of heat and cold than other more phlegmatic and ponderous liquors and is capable of receiving a deep tincture and keeping it as any liquor whatsoever and which makes it yet more acceptable is not subject to be frozen by any cold yet known when i have thus filled it 
I can very easily, in the aforementioned flame of a lamp, seal and join on the head of it. Then, for graduating the stem, I fix that for the beginning of my division where the surface of the liquor in the stem remains when the ball is placed in common distilled water that is so cold that it just begins to freeze and shoots into flakes. And that mark I fix at a convenient place of the stem to make it capable of exhibiting very many degrees of cold below that which is requisite to freeze water the rest of my divisions both above and below this which i mark with a zero or not i place according to the degrees of expansion or contraction of the liquor in proportion to the bulk it had when it endured the newly mentioned freezing cold and this may be very easily and accurately enough done by this following way prepare a cylindrical vessel of very thin plate brass or silver a b c d of the figure z the diameter a b of whose cavity let be about two inches and the depth b c the same let each end be covered with a flat and smooth plate of the same substance closely soldered on and in the midst of the upper cover make a pretty large hole e f about the bigness of a fifth part of the diameter of the other into this fasten very well with cement a straight and even cylindrical pipe of glass e f g h the diameter of whose cavity let be exactly one-tenth of the diameter of the greater cylinder let this pipe be marked at g h with a diamond so that g from e may be distant just two inches or the same height with that of the cavity of the greater cylinder then divide the length e g exactly into ten parts so the capacity of the hollow of each of these divisions will be one one thousand part of the capacity of the greater cylinder this vessel being thus prepared the way of marking and graduating the thermometers may be very easily thus performed fill this cylindrical vessel with the same liquor wherewith the thermometers are filled then place both it and the thermometer you are to graduate in water that is already to be frozen and bring the surface of the liquor in the thermometer to the first mark or zero then so proportion the liquor in the cylindrical vessel that the surface of it may be just at the lower end of the small glass cylinder then very gently and gradually warm the water in which both the thermometer and this cylindrical vessel stand and as you perceive the tinged liquor to rise in both stems with the point of a diamond give several marks on the stem of the thermometer at those places which by comparing the expansion in both stems are found to correspond to the divisions of the cylindrical vessel and having by this means marked some few of these divisions on the stem it will be very easy by these to mark all the rest of the stem and accordingly to assign to every division a proper character a thermometer thus marked and prepared will be the fittest instrument to make a standard of heat and cold that can be imagined for being sealed up it is not at all subject to variation or wasting nor is it liable to be changed by the varying pressure of the air which all other kind of thermometers that are open to the air are liable to but to proceed this property of expansion with heat and contraction with cold is not peculiar to liquors only but to all kind of solid bodies also especially metals which will more manifestly appear by this experiment take the barrel of a stopcock of brass and let the key which is well fitted to it be riveted into it so that it may slip and be easily turned round 
then heat this cock in the fire and you will find the key so swollen that you will not be able to turn it round in the barrel but if it be suffered to cool again as soon as it is cold it will be as movable and as easy to be turned as before this quality is also very observable in lead tin silver antimony pitch rosin beeswax butter and the like all which if after they be melted you suffer gently to cool you shall find the parts of the upper surface to subside and fall inwards losing that plumpness and smoothness it had whilst in fusion the like i have also observed in the cooling of glass of antimony which does very near approach the nature of glass but because these are all examples taken from other materials than glass and argue only that possibly there may be the like property also in glass not that really there is we shall by three or four experiments endeavor to manifest that also and the first is an observation that is very obvious even in these very drops to wit that they are all of them terminated with an unequal or irregular surface especially about the smaller part of the drop and the whole length of the stem as about d and from thence to a the whole surface which would have been round if the drop had cooled leisurely is by being quenched hastily very irregularly flatted and pitted which i suppose proceeds partly from the waters unequally cooling and pressing the parts of the drop and partly from the self-contracting or subsiding quality of the substance of the glass for the vehemency of the heat of the drop causes such hidden motions and bubbles in the cold water that some parts of the water bear more forcibly against one part than against another and consequently do more suddenly cool those parts to which they are contiguous a second argument may be drawn from the experiment of cutting glasses with a hot iron for in that experiment the top of the iron heats and thereby rarefies the parts of the glass that lie just before the crack whence each of those agitated parts endeavoring to expand itself and get elbow room thrusts off all the rest of the contiguous parts and consequently promotes the crack that was before begun a third argument may be drawn from the way of producing a crack in a sound piece or plate of glass which is done two ways either first by suddenly heating a piece of glass in one place more than in another and by this means chymists usually cut off the necks of glass bodies by two kinds of instruments either by a glowing hot round iron ring which just encompasses the place that is to be cut or else by a sulphured threed which is often wound about the place where the separation is to be made and then fired or secondly a glass may be cracked by cooling it suddenly in any place with water or the like after it has been all leisurely and gradually heated very hot both which phenomena seem manifestly to proceed from the expansion and contraction of the parts of the glass which is also made more probable by this circumstance which i have observed that a piece of common window glass being heated in the middle very suddenly with a live coal or hot iron does usually at the first crack fall into pieces whereas if the plate has been gradually heated very hot and a drop of cold water and the like be put on the middle of it it only flaws it but does not break it asunder immediately a fourth argument may be drawn from this experiment take a glass pipe and fit into a solid stick of glass so as it will but just be moved in it then by degrees 
heat them whilst they are one within another, and they will grow stiffer. But when they are again cold, they will be as easy to be turned as before. This expansion of glass is more manifest in this experiment. Take a stick of glass of a considerable length, and fit it so between the two ends or screws of a lath, that it may but just easily turn, and that the very ends of it may be just touched and sustained thereby. Then applying the flame of the candle to the middle of it, and heating it hot, you will presently find the glass to stick very fast on those points, and not without much difficulty to be convertible on them. Before that, by removing the flame for a while from it, it be suffered to cool, and when you will find it as easy to be turned round as the first. From all which experiments it is very evident that all those bodies, and particularly glass, suffers an expansion by heat, and that a very considerable one, whilst they are in a state of fusion. For fluidity, as I elsewhere mention, being nothing but an effect of very strong and quick shaking motion, whereby the parts are, as it were, loosened from each other, and consequently leave an interjacent space or vacuity, it follows that all those shaken particles must necessarily take up much more room than when they were at rest, and lay quietly upon each other. And this is further confirmed by a pot of boiling alabaster, which will manifestly rise a sixth or eighth part higher in the pot whilst it is boiling, than it will remain at both before and after it be boiled. The reason of which odd phenomenon, to hint it here only, by the way, is this, that there is in the curious powder of alabaster and other calcinating stones a certain watery substance which is so fixed and included with the solid particles that till the heat be very considerable they will not fly away. But after the heat is increased to such degree they break out every way in vapors, and thereby so shake and loosen the small corpuscles of the powder from each other that they become perfectly of the nature of a fluid body, and one may move a stick to and fro through it, and stir it as easily as water, and the vapors burst and break out in bubbles just as in boiling water and the like. Whereas, both before those watery parts are flying away, and after they are quite gone, that is, before and after it have done boiling, all those effects cease, and a stick is as difficultly moved to and fro in it as in sand or the like, which explication I could easily prove had I time, but this is not a fit place for it. To proceed, therefore, I say, that the dropping of this expanded body into cold water does make the parts of the glass suffer a double contraction. The first is, of those parts which are near the surface of the drop. For cold, as I said before, contracting bodies, that is, by the abatement of the agitating faculty of the parts falling nearer together, the parts next adjoining to the water must needs lose much of their motion, and impart it to the ambient water, which the ebullition and commotion of it manifests, and thereby become a solid and hard crust, whilst the innermost parts remain yet fluid and expanded. Whence, as they grow cold also by degrees, their parts must necessarily be left at liberty to be condensed. But because of the hardness of the outward crust, the contraction cannot be admitted that way. But there being many very small and before inconspicuous bubbles in the substance of the glass, upon the subsiding of the parts of the glass, 
the agile substance contained in them has liberty of expanding itself a little and thereby those bubbles grow much bigger which is the second contraction and both these are confirmed from the appearance of the drop itself for as for the outward parts we see first that it is irregular and shrunk as it were which is caused by the yielding a little of the hardened skin to a contraction after the very outmost surface is settled and as for the internal parts one may with one's naked eye perceive abundance of very conspicuous bubbles and with the microscope many more the consideration of which particulars will easily make the third position probable that is that the parts of the drop will be of a very hard though of a rarefied texture for if the outward parts of the drop by reason of its hard crust will endure very little contraction and the agile particles included in those bubbles by the losing of their agitation by the decrease of the heat lose also most part of their spring and expansive power it follows the withdrawing of the heat being very sudden that the parts must be left in a very loose texture and by reason of the implication of the parts one about another which form their sluggishness and glutinousness i suppose to be much after the manner of the sticks in the thorn bush or a lock of wool it will follow i say that the parts will hold each other very strongly together and endeavor to draw each other nearer together and consequently their texture must be very hard and stiff but very much rarefied and this will make probable my next position that the parts of the glass are under a kind of tension or flexure out of which they endeavor to extricate and free themselves and thereby all the parts draw towards the center or middle and would if the outward parts would give way as they do when the outward parts cool leisurely as in baking of glasses contract the bulk of the drop into a much less compass for since as i proved before the internal parts of the drop when fluid were of a very rarefied texture and as it were tossed open like a lock of wool and if they were suffered leisurely to cool would be again pressed as it were close together and since that the heat which kept them bended and open is removed and yet the parts not suffered to get as near together as they naturally would it follows that the particles remain under a kind of tension and flexure and consequently have an endeavor to free themselves from that bending and distension which they do as soon as either the tip be broken or as soon as by a leisurely heating and cooling the parts are kneeled into another posture and this will make my next position probable that the parts of the glass drops are contignated together in the form of an arch cannot anywhere yield or be drawn inwards till by the removing of some one part of it as it happens in the removing one of the stones of an arch the whole fabric is shattered and falls to pieces and each of the springs is left at liberty suddenly to extricate itself for since i have made it probable that the internal parts of the glass have a contractive power inwards and the external parts are incapable of such a contraction and the figure of it being spherical it follows that the superficial parts must bear against each other and keep one another from being condensed into a less room in the same manner as the stones of an arch conduce to upholding each other in that figure and this is made more probable by another experiment which was communicated to me by an excellent person whose extraordinary abilities and all kind of knowledge especially in that of natural things and his generous disposition in communicating 
encouraged me to have recourse to him on many occasions. The experiment was this. Small glass balls, about the bigness of that represented in the figure ampersand, would, upon rubbing or scratching the inward surface, fly all in sunder with a pretty brisk noise, whereas neither before nor after the inner surface had been thus scratched did there appear any flaw or crack. And putting the pieces of one of those broken ones together again, the flaws appeared much after the manner of the black lines on the figure ampersand. These balls were small, but exceeding thick bubbles of glass, which being cracked off from the puntillion whilst very hot, and so suffered to cool without kneeling them in the oven over the furnace, do thereby being made of white glass which cools much quicker than green glass and is thereby made much brittler, acquire a very porous and very brittle texture, so that if with the point of a needle or bodkin the inside of any of them be rubbed pretty hard and then laid on a table, it will, within a very little while, break into many pieces with a brisk noise and throw the parts above a span asunder on the table. Now, though the pieces are not so small as those of a fulminating drop, yet they as plainly show that the outward parts of the glass have a great conatus to fly asunder, were they not held together by the tenacity of the parts of the inward surface. For we see, as soon as those parts are crazed by hard rubbing, and thereby their tenacity spoiled, the springiness of the more outward parts quickly makes a divulsion, and the broken pieces will, if the concave surface of them be further scratched with a diamond, fly again into smaller pieces. From which preceding considerations it will follow, sixthly, that the sudden flying asunder of the parts, as soon as this arch is anywhere disordered or broken, proceeds from the springing of the parts, which, endeavoring to extricate themselves as soon as they get the liberty, they perform it with such a quickness that they throw one another away with very great violence for the particles that compose the crust have a conatus to lie further from one another, and therefore, as soon as the external parts are loosened, they dart themselves outward with great violence, just as so many springs would do. If they were detained and fastened to the body, as soon as they should be suddenly loosened, and the internal parts drawing inward, they contract so violently that they rebound back again and fly into multitude of small shivers or sands, now, though they appear not, either to the naked eye or the microscope, yet I am very apt to think there may be abundance of small flaws or cracks, which, by reason the strong reflecting air is not got between the contiguous parts, appear not. And that this may be so, I argue from this, that I have very often been able to make a crack or flaw in some convenient pieces of glass to appear and disappear at pleasure according as by pressing together or pulling asunder the contiguous parts i excluded or admitted the strong reflecting air between the parts and it is very probable that there may be some body that is either very rarefied air or something analogous to it which fills the bubbles of these drops which i argue first from the roundness of them and next from the vivid reflection of light which they exhibit now though i doubt not but that the air in them is very much rarefied, yet that there is some in them, to such as well consider this experiment of the disappearing of a crack upon the extruding of the air, I suppose it will seem more than probable. The seventh and last, therefore, that I shall prove is, that the gradual heating and cooling of these so extended bodies 
does reduce the parts of the glass to a looser and softer temper and this i found by heating them and keeping them for a pretty while very red-hot in a fire for thereby i found them to grow a little lighter and the small stems to be very easily broken and snapped anywhere without at all making the drop fly whereas before they were so exceeding hard that they could not be broken without much difficulty and upon their breaking the whole drop would fly in pieces with very great violence the reason of which last seems to be that the leisurely heating and cooling of the parts does not only waste some part of the glass itself but ranges all the parts into a better order and gives each particle an opportunity of relaxing itself and consequently neither will the parts hold so strongly together as before nor be so difficult to be broken the parts now more easily yielding nor will the other parts fly in pieces because the parts have no bended springs the relaxation also in the temper of hardened steel and hammered metals by kneeling them in the fire seems to proceed from much the same cause for both by quenching suddenly such metals as have vitrified parts interspersed as steel has and by hammering of other kinds that do not so much abound with them as silver brass etc the parts are put into and detained in a bended posture which by the agitation of heat are shaken and loosened and suffered to unbend themselves end of section 11 recorded by jim cooper jimcoopervoiceartist.com